0: welcome to back in the game a sports and mindset podcast i'm rob Bombako.
1: and i'm rachel Popcheck, and we're here to share with you the mental skills you need to help improve your performance and get your head back in the
0: game we will offer practical applications and diverse perspectives to help you apply these mental skills to your life Welcome to today's episode of Back in the Game, a sports and mindset podcast. I'm Rob Bombacco,
1: And I'm Rachel Popchick.
0: Uh Today's episode, we'll be talking about how to mentally recover from injuries. So, you know, we... When we get injured, we, we often obviously think about the physical recovery, but there's a whole other side of recovery, and that's the, the mental side. So we're going to get into that. Um, and our guest today will be Dr. Marco Alcala, uh, who will discuss concussions and some issues surrounding um, that specific injury. So our quote today, uh, injuries made people lose confidence in me. But I never lost confidence in myself. That's Penny Hardaway. So one of the things here I, I love about this is kind of the connection with injuries and confidence, and how injuries absolutely impact uh, an athlete's confidence. You know, when we we are injured and we're sidelined, you know, oftentimes self doubt can kind of creep in there. Um, you can hear. You know, outside voices. You know, maybe coaches or teammates. Um, you know, parents questioning different things about you know our injury or or questioning our recovery process. And you know, when we kind of let those distractions play out, they can really you know affect our mental health and our and our confidence. So, in this quote, you know, Penny Hardaway says, you know, despite. Maybe what the outside distractions and what others were saying, uh, he kept his his self confidence, you know, and and remained focused on what he he needed to do. So, you know, I, I love that part of this quote of of always maintaining your own self confidence.
1: Yeah. And I think that, that just like you're saying, which kind of maintaining that self-confidence, I mean, it certainly has, it it plays a role in our perception of our uh, injury. And, and, you know, if if I'm confident in myself, then I do what I need to do to get better. Right. Like I do, Mm -hmm. I I have a consistent routine with physical therapy or I, you know, kind of allow myself to rest when I need to rest because I know that, it's all part of the steps in, in working towards healing and recovering and and getting back to kind of being my best self. Right. But if we don't have that confidence in ourselves, then we kind of give up. We don't try. We feel really powerless because we just say, you know, I can't do this or it's never going to get better or Mm -hmm. what's the point. Right. And we kind of talk ourselves out of recovering. Um, So I think that that confidence and, and, you know, having that ability to rely on ourselves and trust ourselves really gives us the power to actually get, cultivate the healing that, that we're capable of, of of achieving.
0: Sure. Right. Yeah. And if we're, if we're not confident, you know, we can't rely on, on others for our confidence, right? You know, we have to, to build that up and, and maintain that self-confidence. And as you said, you know, that's a big part of, of how we progress in our sports performance. And also, you know, as we're, we're talking about injuries and recovery. So we'll jump into our, our three tips. And these are again, three tips relating to when you are recovering from an, an injury, how to mentally recover. Okay. You know, not the physical part, uh, you know, with, the different things you're going to have to do related to that. But this is more the, the mental approach and the mental recovery. So our first tip is, is stay part of the team. So one of the things that can happen and, and a lot of times does is that, you know, we have an injury and we get separated from the team, right? Not often intentionally, but you know, we're kind of doing our own thing, right? We're, we're, you know, training or, or, you know, uh, in, in kind of physical rehab or, or doing whatever our program is to get ourselves back playing again, you know, and sometimes those activities take place separate from the team. Okay. So you're not on the field or the court or the ice with the team, you're in a training room or, or, you know, working with the trainer. So again, kind of separate from, from the team and that can have a a real big impact on just your overall, again, mental health and mentality of feeling not part of the team, right? We're, we're kind of just separate on our own, um, you know, as an individual. So anything that you can do to stay part of the team is, is so important. Um, you know, again, you still got to do your, your kind of training and, and recovery process, but, you know, can you be in the locker room before practice um, you know, or, and games? Can you, you know, make sure even outside of practice and games that you're uh, hanging out with the guys still and you're, you're being part of that overall, uh, you know, kind of team building? These things, again, are, are just vital uh, to make sure that, that you mentally still feel part of the team and the team, team's progress and process um, moving forward.
1: Right. And I think, too, that, you know, I, I mean, it even ties back to that sense of confidence, right? Like, if we're not kind of part of, you know, actively staying part of the team, right, in, in kind of the ways that, that we can control um, we do, we, we lose that sense of identity and we lose that sense of confidence. And again, we lose that kind of sense of purpose. So absolutely kind of maintaining that position and, and reminding ourselves sort of what we're working to get back to um, is, is absolutely important. And I think in terms of, of kind of that, you know, working towards you know, what, what we're trying to get back to really leads us to kind of our second tip for today, which is journal about your recovery and the progress that you've made, right? So I think a lot of times that when we're working on something, right, whether we're, we've kind of received an injury or not, like even, if, you know, this kind of ties into to sort of setting goals as well. But I mean, when we're working towards something, we often really get lost in focusing on how far we've yet to go, and we really lose sight mm-hmm. on uh, we re- lose sight of how far we've come. Um, so, so, I think that if we can really journal about, okay, what is our recovery plan? How far have I come? You know, how many weeks have, right. have gone by? Right. We're focusing on again. I mean, we're focusing on the controllables, but we're focusing on the progress that we've made, which is going to help us have really the right mindset to motivate us to keep going. Um, and not get discouraged by thinking about how far we've we have to go, but but really encouraged and, and kind of motivated by how far we've gone and and what I am capable of doing
0: moving forward. Right? Yeah, and I think th- this tip, and you'll see with the the third tip here in a second, I, I think these are related to finding hope, right. And kind of, you know, looking at, again, not so much what I can't do right now because I'm injured, um, you know, but Hey, here, here's where I'm at. Here's the progress I've, I've made. um, And you can see yourself getting better, which gives you some confidence and hope that, um, you know, you'll be, be kind of getting back playing, um, you know, in, in the future. So you know, we talk a lot about journaling. You know, we've mentioned that in a lot of our our episodes. This is another good way to use journaling and stay focused on the things that are that are most important um, during your your recovery time. So, our last tip is is set goals for when you're able to play again. So, I know we have mentioned again in previous episodes the importance of staying focused on the present, and I think tip number two kind of deals with that as well this this tip here is one time where i'll say um, looking ahead a little bit can be a positive thing right so setting goals for yourself when you are playing again again gives you that hope it gives you that motivation to keep working hard to get better to recover and to be back playing again um you know you have obviously, your, your injury recovery goals and, and what you need to do, uh, again, to get back. But when you do get back, what are some of those things that, that you want to achieve? And again, that, that really can help increase that, that motivation and, and get you working as hard as you can to get yourself back competing at a high level.
1: Right. And I think even just kind of setting those goals for when we're able to play again, I mean, certainly kind of helps us stay present and kind of focused on the present moment. But I mean, it even kind of helps us sort of set our goals for now, right? And even kind of helps us, again, find mm-hmm. our reason and purpose for the now of, okay, if yeah. I do, you know, this, you know, X, y or z exercise in physical therapy right it's going to strengthen these muscles and these skills to be able to help me achieve this goal for when i'm able to play again right so it's it's it gives us yes that hope and that motivation again for you know why i'm doing what i'm doing but it also helps me kind of refocus on you know setting again setting those small achievable goals for what where i'm at and kind of what i'm doing now
0: sure so a quick review, again, these are tips to help you with an injury and to help you mentally recover from an, from an injury. So number one is stay part of the team. Do anything you can to, to remain part of the team and be involved in as many of the team activities as you can. Number two, journal about your recovery and the progress you've made. So again, rather than, than focusing on what you're not able to do, you know, focus on the things you are doing and the progress you, you've made in your recovery. And then third, set goals for when you're able to play again. So as, as we discussed, you know, you have your, your goals for getting back, um, but, you know, getting back from your injury. But when you are back, what are some of the things you want to accomplish? And that helps, again, keep us focused, but but also can really help increase that, that motiva- motivation to uh, work as hard as you can to get back on the, the court field ice, um, whatever that, that may be. So, we will be back here shortly. As I mentioned, uh, Dr. Marco Alcalo will be joining us and he'll be discussing the topic of concussions. We'll be right back. <music> Welcome back to Back in the Game, a sports and mindset podcast. We are excited to be joined today by uh, Dr. Marco Alcala. Uh, Dr. Alcala received his medical degree from St. George's University School of Medicine in Grenada, uh, completed his general surgical internship at St. Barnabas Medical Center, and his general surgical residency at Morristown Memorial Hospital, both in New Jersey. He underwent a three-year research fellowship in surgical oncology at the University of Pittsburgh Cancer Institute in Pittsburgh, PA, completed his family medicine residency at the Beaver Medical Center in Beaver, PA. Uh, He then completed his fellowship in primary care sports medicine at Allegheny General Hospital in Pittsburgh, where he trained as a team physician for the Pittsburgh Pirates. He is a published author of several articles presented in multiple abstracts for research and has given oral presentations on a variety of topics to medical audiences around the country. He is a member of the American College of Sports Medicine, the American Medical Society of Sports Medicine, the USA Boxing Association, the American Association of Family Physicians, and the American Board of Family Medicine. Dr. Alcala is a team physician for Avonworth and Moon High Schools and is the team physician for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, he has medical staff privileges at Allegheny General Hospital as well. Dr. Alcala, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So we're talking in, in today's episode, and we'll, we'll kind of get into, um, you know, your specialty with, with concussions, but uh, can you tell us just a little more about your career and, and how you got involved in, in the sports medicine field?
2: Uh, So currently, I do sports medicine, which is basically orthopedics, uh, musculoskeletal injuries, head-to-toe, non-surgical, but there's also a component of concussion management, um, which I found a niche in. I tend to do more of it in the North Hills region, and so I basically see about 250 concussions a month, um, which is, that's half of uh, what I see, the double of that for my other injuries, but I found a little aspect to it that I love, and a lot of it is mental health, a lot of it is behavioral health that comes with it, so it's a very comprehensive approach that we found, and we're very proactive about it, so that is what I do currently, but to get there, uh, I did family medicine uh, before that to get into it, and that opened up doors for me to be a ringside physician for boxing, so currently I do a lot of boxing on my own and do training for myself uh, without sparring because I don't want a concussion. Um, the whole purpose of boxing. So, but if we could be better at helping educate these boxers as well, which got me into that even more, it's a place where these people don't have, um, an idea how to manage concussions. They just keep going in and going in despite them, the way they feel, they just think that they just need to get back in there and there's better ways of doing that. So that opened up a lot of other doors for me. And I just thought sports medicine, uh, was the ideal situation for me, um, being ringside physician, being team physician for these high schools. And then the pirates, it's just, uh, it kept snowballing. Mm-hmm. And I ended up here with Allegheny Health Network, which is a very approachable program and right in the close to home. And um, I just kept going from there. But my background was surgery before that. So again, you can see how much of a turn that made me uh, get into this. And then having three kids now, I just uh, I love the concept of family medicine, sports medicine. Um, I bring my kids to the games, uh, they're involved with me, and it just, it keeps going, and I just love it every every day.
0: Awesome, so you, and we'll get into some of the kind of things to look for and whatnot, but you you mentioned, and this is of great interest to, I know Rachel and I, as we deal a lot with the kind of mental side, um, but just some of the the, you know, things that you learned kind of as far as concussions and, and the, you know, um, how they do affect you, you know, the, the mental health kind of side of things.
2: Yeah. Um, so psychology is huge. You know, we do tell people that there is a component depending on what part of the brain you injure, um, it's three dimensional. You're not gonna hit the same part every time. So let's say you go back and forth with a head injury from a car accident or collision with helmet to helmet, that's a driving force that's kind of going in and out back and forth, mm-hmm. or you get a whiplash injury side to side, you know, so obviously there's different parts of the brain you're gonna injure. So you're gonna have different symptoms, but most of the time we tell people you're gonna have ocular symptoms such as eye motion side to side or up and down that can give you eye strain, headaches and flare ups where you're just wiped out for the rest of the day. You can have vestibular symptoms such as head motion, back and forth, up and down, getting dressed in the morning, you know, bending down to put your socks on, little things like that. That gives you dizziness and if you keep doing that, you get the headaches and if you keep pushing through, meaning you keep getting dressed, then you're wiped out for the rest of the day. So what, you're, what are you gonna say is that I'm just, I'm wiped out, I'm tired, lights bother me, noises bother me, stuff that we hear all the time and that's a flare up. And we teach people not to get to that point anymore by teaching them when to stop while they're getting dressed, you know, at the right timing, when to pause. The other component of the concussion is cognitive dysfunction. And cognitive is me talking right now and maybe getting to the point where I'm like, wait, um, what was I going to say next? Let me, uh, oh crap, I keep forgetting mm-hmm. what I'm going to say. And that's, that takes a toll on people from their psyche alone. Um, memory issues, they used to be sharp. And I can have, for example, a teacher who's a calculus teacher who can't cognitively understand her, what she teaches anymore, and she's frustrated and it throws them into this tailspin where they're just, they're a mess from an anxiety component. There's a fourth component to this too. You may have already coming into a concussion, having a history of anxiety or depression, which was managed before the injury. However, when you get a concussion, it's amplified. So for example, if you were anxious, but you had the right medication, you were well-controlled for years, they can get through their day without a problem. They're well-controlled. No panic attacks. They're fine. But the concussion injury elevates that con- those anxiety symptoms beyond what they were used to, but their dose of their medication stayed at the same dose. Now you got this gap that you have to fill, and they don't know that. They keep pushing through. Their anxiety is overwhelming. Now it's worsening their cognitive function. Don't forget, you know, we have to decipher whether or not your anxiety is causing their cognitive dysfunction or is it the concussion that caused it. But we, we say this just for an edu- educational purpose as from zero to three months, we call it a concussion if you're not better by then. After three months, we call it post-concussion syndrome from three months to a year. But to me, it's like if you have a, a doormat and you shake it off and you shoot everything up in the air, that doormat went down, that was your concussion injury, but it brought up everything that you've had before. It shook you up enough that now you have these things that are lingering, but as they fall down right back to the mat, that's your concussion, it's over. However, you may have lingering particles still floating in the air. You may still have lingering cognitive difficulties still in the air. That's beyond the time, the three months, and that's post-concussion syndrome. But other external factors keep those things afloat, such as your anxiety such as depression, ADHD, um, you know, bipolar disorder, PTSD is a big one You know, from a car accident. And it's just like you're, it doesn't let those concussion symptoms go away. So we hit it from every angle is what I'm saying. We mm-hmm. like to be proactive and comprehensive. And at the Pediatric Orthopedic Institute, we even brought on neuropsychologists, postdoc, who worked with us. We have our vestibular therapist ready to go. We have behavioral therapy. Um, ready to be uh, ordered as soon as possible just to be ahead of the game because we know these these uh, previous factors are going to keep these things going longer and longer. And now we have people years out with these concussion-like symptoms that, oh, I had a concussion, I'm still having symptoms.
0: Right.
2: No, it's the fact that you never dealt with your PTSD with your depression history, while well, I used to take medicine, I, uh, my doctor won't bump it up anymore because it was fine. But your doctor doesn't realize that your depression was overwhelming after the concussion and never brought up your dose to match your new symptoms. Mm-hmm. If you bump up that medication to match the new symptoms, it quiets the brain down so then you can let the rest of it heal and go back to normal again. So I think it's a win-win when you uh, talk about this in the beginning of a concussion, just like I'm talking to you about this now. This is my conversation for a patient in the beginning, you know, but obviously we don't see everybody with a concussion. They get better. Some, most people will get better within seven to 10 days, you know, and a lot of people linger until within four weeks. And after that, you know, uh, what your red flags, like why is this lingering for you? And then you start talking about those things even more. If I see someone coming in with ADHD history, anxiety, sleep disorders, migraine history, those are, I'm already assuming the worst that this is going to take a long time. Do you have a psychologist? Do you have a psychiatrist? Yes, I do. Do you see them regularly? Yeah, I actually feel better from my depression, anxiety than before. Perfect. Then you can beat the odds from this. Just you're going to get better from what what, what I'm going to teach you to do to manage your regular concussion symptoms. You know, but a lot of things overlap. You know, we have a lot of, cognitive function is a big deal and i can have children without a concussion have cognitive difficulties just from having severe anxiety so that's that's something that we're looking forward in or looking for in the beginning and i'm trying to be uh, ahead of the game when it comes to that and be comprehensive
1: so you're talking a lot about kind of the the different signs and symptoms Um, and and how they all sort of interrelate to one another, and then also just kind of the the different um, approaches that you take, behavioral, you know, cognitive. Are there, is there a difference between kind of the signs and symptoms that you see in maybe, you know, youth, children, particularly kind of athletes versus adults, um, and just kind of the presentation of those things?
2: So... You know, I like that you brought that up because there's a different approach I have for everybody. You know, and the bottom line is we individualize it based on the person. So do I become an FBI person and start profiling people? Uh, Kind of, you know, like I can profile a teacher. I'm like, you guys are the worst kind. Nurses, Mm -hmm. you guys are the worst kind. You're basically, I'm saying the type A personality, adult, child if you're type A, first of all, if you're type A, meaning you're a high achieving honors student, female, those are strikes against you already in a concussion. We know that we're going to have to be proactive already with this person. We know if you have a history of migraine or, well, I never had a headache, but your mother has had a migraine history. Like there's a genetic component to that that I, that I have a constant headache right now since this concussion, because not everybody gets that constant pressure headache. So I'm looking at those people too. But if, someone's laid back doesn't care oh you're saying i'm off school for two weeks so i can get better sweet why do they get better faster they don't care they're not hung up on oh my god i'm an a plus 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 student i only had an a plus plus just yesterday i don't know what to do my life is ruined good luck with that person getting better right away mm. so the adult and the athlete we're actually thinking about doing a study for the work comp auto injury adult versus how we um, attack an athlete. And to be honest, I think uh, I'm more quick to talk about the psychology aspect of things with an adult that got hurt at work or that got hurt from a car accident because I feel they're gonna be prolonged because they are so fixed in their ways that they won't budge. You know, they we have to address the psychology sooner and say, you know, this can give you PTSD You know, do you feel anxiety early on? Do you feel like that's bothering you? Well, yeah, it's hard for me to sleep at night. You know, bring that up sooner than an athlete who just wants to get back in the game. There's a psychology, a different psychological issue with those kids that want to get back to playing sports. And we have to address those people differently. So my approach is, first of all, knowing the kind of personality they are and then addressing it that way. And number two, you know, Do you work from home? Do you have school at school? Do you have school cyber school? Can you control your environment? And if so, then this is how you're gonna approach it now. I don't know if that's answering your question exactly, but my approach is just basically individualizing it to that person and and their environment and their household environment. And parents are separated or not or divorced or uh, there's so much more that goes on in the household that we have to take into consideration you can tell them all you want and they go home and they ruin everything you talked about because their parents are causing so many things for them.
1: Yeah. Well, no, and and you are kind of answering that question and really kind of addressing sort of the, those differences in, you know, personality factors and certainly kind of the the mental health side that we take of really kind of meeting each person where they're at and sort of getting to know the person and and sort of their background and and the way that they approach things to then kind of work with them sort of through their experience. Um, But I'm just kind of curious as well, sort of you're talking about these different you know, the the personality traits and kind of the different personality types. Could you just sort of expand a little bit more on maybe the differences that you see in those personality types and kind of the rate of getting better, right? So you're saying that if they don't care, they kind of get better faster. So what is sort of that impact on, you know, maybe more of that type A personality versus that more laid back personality?
2: So a type A person, for example, somebody or... It doesn't have to. I mean, it could be somebody who's a go-getter who just doesn't know when to stop. I have, I'm an executive secretary of an executive. I can't stop. I got to work, work, work. Um, they're so quick, you know, Their their mental state is their acumen is really good. They're sharp. They're fat. They can calculate numbers in their minds without a problem. But once they have a concussion and they have a cognitive, not everybody has cognitive difficulties, by the way, they can have, depending on what part of the brain they injure. So again, I need to know what symptoms they have. If I move my eyes too much, I get eye strain, then you're the ocular deficiency type. If you're moving your head or when I get dizzy, then you're the vestibular type. So that's more of a physical thing. The cognitive is me talking like right now to you from memory or you listening to me on your end and you have cognitive difficulties and you can't comprehend after five minutes of what I just said, it's just, you're like, oh my God, I'm trying to pay attention, but I can't understand the thing. And now I'm getting headaches trying to pay attention. That's a lot of analytical skills, brain power but that person that used to be able to multitask and calculate in their heads without a problem, and now they have a concussion and that part is affected, there's decreased processing speed. They're slow to understand what they're hearing. They can't calculate what they were used to calculating before, they're getting fumbling numbers, they're making mistakes, they're dropping the ball. So if they were high functioning, and you can't see my hand on the podcast, but They're up here, high up enough that they're with it. Now, there's a deficiency, meaning they're not as quick as they were. That person who's type A will lose it. They will get so anxious and frustrated and angry and so stressed that they're not working at the capacity that they were before, which then enhances their anxiety and prolongs their concussion symptoms. Now, we're dealing with months and months of people like that. Yeah, when, I think, go, go ahead, sorry. Uh, and I, and what, what I was gonna say was that it, when I counseled them about this, like you would not look at a fracture at the same. You would say, I have a fractured leg, I can't walk on it, it hurts. So you don't walk more than five steps. You kind of stop every five steps because you know if I walk 10, 15 steps in a row, you're gonna be elevating that leg for the rest of the day because you pushed it too hard. My brain cannot give me the pain to tell me when to stop. So I teach them at the moment when you get confused that you back off, relax for a minute, okay, I feel better. Then I go back and pay attention again and it makes sense. But they wanna push through that critical thinking process and they get upset and now it keeps getting another flare for the whole day where they need to stop at the right time and they'll feel better. So they would not think twice about walking on a painful leg, but they don't see themselves as an injured person with a concussion so you throw that into their lives and understand it's the same concept. You need to know when to pause, not stop when you have pain, but stop when you have confusion, and that kind of calms them down. And they can be—they have to get to the point where they accept that there's going to be a deficiency for a little bit, but that they can get better. So it's a lot of counseling involved to teach them that not to get, not to lose it because they're getting so frustrated every time. That just really prolongs everything.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that. To me, so interesting and, and how it relates to, to, to athletes. One of the things we see a lot of, I mean, not with every athlete, but, you know, um, a lot of athletes is that kind of perfectionist, right. Approach that and perfectionism. And so, you know, how that would kind of fall right into to what you're saying and where, you know, their ability to, you know, want to move through things quickly or, you know, they're, they're so used to just with their physical abilities, being able to achieve things. And, and, you know, sometimes that's just not possible when dealing with these things and how that could really impact their overall um, mental health, too, and the anxiety and everything that you're saying.
2: But if it's a reality thing, you know, if you know, like, hey, this, this is a it's a real thing. It's, it's not. Yeah. But everybody looks at me like I'm crazy. Yes. But what about people with migraines? You don't see it. But we are well aware of migraines. We know people with migraines, and we're like, "Wow, oh, man, you should go home. You don't look good." Uh, thanks, man. You're right. I'm getting a migraine. Oh, go home. Go sleep it off. I got a concussion. What are you talking about? Keep going. We got. We need this done right now. Keep going. So they're pushed. There's a lot of bullying effect going on, even in the workplace, even at the executive level. You know, you're looked at as if you, you're incompetent because you can't do this, and you used to do 20 things at once delegating and you ran the show and now you're doing five things at once and you're fumbling and you're perceived as uh, incompetent that you can you're at risk of losing your work your job and people don't see that so you're better off saying get out of the workplace let me keep you at home for a few But i can't i can't i can't work from home so you can control your environment just a little bit of a reset and then practice managing your symptoms so that you can apply them at work and then you slow them get them back so to me it's more of a where are you falling apart Let's get rid of that anxiety. What's causing the anxiety number one? Well, I I just I I used to be able to do this and now I can't. Do you know why you used to be able to do it now you can't? You had an injury. Yeah, but the injury causes this. Okay. Yeah, but I used to be able I get that. You're you're hung up on that one part. You don't even care about your dizziness or your ocular dysfunction. You're complaining about the fact that you can't concentrate or 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 supply the 12 things that you were supposed to give today, that you know you can only give nine. They're hung up on that little gap. And I'm like, I'm trying to close that gap by just letting you know it's a given. It's It comes with the territory. You know that that's part of the injury. Then what are you worried about now? It's just that I'm like, calm down, relax. It's part of it. The more you reassure them, you're going to get better right now. You're just injured. It's going to go back because they don't realize that they're not going to get back to there again. They think that this is them, the new them. And when people... And they go to many doctors that say this and them, oh, just get used to it, this is just a new you. And then you stir them up and say, no, you can get better. You're like, what? They told me, I wish I would have come here six months ago. I mean, they, I, I was told this is just a new me. And I, we've helped people 10 years out of an injury, talking to them like this, reassuring them and teaching them how to pause and go, not pushing through, but pushing up to it and not through it. And they get that concept and they're, within a few months they get better it makes me think that this application does work not that i'm lucky not that we're lucky we just found a pattern to teach them how to get through this but there's a lot of psychology and a lot of the times there's a team approach is getting them to the right people the right therapist the right psychiatrist we work closely with a handful of them because it's obviously hard to find them Um, You know, we deal with CBI and Cranberry. We deal with uh, our IHN network. We have um, a lot of neuropsych, well, uh, a couple of neuropsychologists that we trust really well. But even then, we get to the point where we're good enough that we don't need a neuropsychologist to tell us this person is anxious. Or a reactive depression due to the injury, which I used to be able to do this, and now months go by, and I can't do what I used to do. That gap really throws people into a, such a, it's sad because it just throws them into such a whirlwind that they, they can't see themselves the same anymore. So they're clouded. And so we have to get them and pull them out of that. Right. So I think we do a night junk therapy to compare to their psychology therapy too.
0: Awesome, that's great information. Uh, so I, pre- prevention, right? So I know that's a big topic and people wanna learn more about, uh, and I'm sure, you know before we even started today you kind of mentioned some misconceptions out there so what are some of those things and what are some of the the good ways to kind of go about
2: um, prevention obviously an accident is an accident a car accident you can you, know, you do your best um, but you know in terms of sports or things of that nature if you're putting yourself in harm's way such as football or hockey or things like that you know we do have a sports performance program here too but neck muscle strengthening is a big one. If you can imagine or visualize a boxer getting hit, you know they're taking it. It's taking it. They're fresh in the first few rounds, for example, and they can tolerate that. Um, as they're getting tired and fatigued, you see them getting like they can't even hold their head up as strong as they did. So they're getting kind of floppy, almost like a bobblehead, and you know they're going to go down any moment. You know if they get hit really good. So that lack of tighten up, tightening up those neck muscles. Um, can cause a concussion because now you have this jarring effect where your head flops around from that injury. An example would be head on collision, slow, slow pace, head on collision. You know, it's coming. You're like, Oh, you brace yourself. You hold onto the steering where you tighten up and you lean forward, but your chest, your neck, your shoulders, your head, all went as one unit because you tightened up really hard the worst thing you get is whiplash neck muscles hurt and everything because you tighten up so hard right before the injury almost like a natural uh, protect protective uh, uh reaction but when your guard is down and you get t-bone from the side that you didn't see it coming you're flopping heads side to side that's when people get more concussions i think because they're just not aware and they didn't have enough time to prepare for the impact like a hockey player getting pushed up against the wall, he sees a person coming, tightens up, he goes against the, the wall as one unit versus like got blindsided and you weren't prepared and you get flopped around. That floppiness, I guess is what I'm saying. It can cause that head, the brain to shake a lot vigorously. So there are things you can do to prevent your, depending on the sport, your peripheral vision better be good, make sure you're aware of your surroundings, someone's coming, you brace yourself. Some people fall down like a sack of potatoes, no protection at all versus, you know, tightening up and falling down like a solid, you know, uh, neck muscle control. So I think neck muscle control, hydration is really good. Um, You know, obviously eating well and stuff like that to make sure your brain is functioning. A lot of omega-3 fatty acids is good for the brain. Those are things that people can always do. And if they even got a head injury, they can run to that right away. The omega-3 mm-hmm. fatty acids are good to help recuperate a little bit. Other than that, you know, it's just hard to, hard to tell people how to protect themselves other than the basic things, you know, helmet wearing, you know, for protection. People think that, that one of the misconceptions out there is that people think, well, I got my son the best helmet out there. The brain still shakes inside. You know, I I get that you want to spend the best, you know, to protect your kids. And even hard hats at work, you can wear all that you want. It protects you from major injuries such as lacerations, fractures and stuff like that. You do need them. But don't be surprised if someone still gets a concussion even because they wore the helmet, the best helmet in the world. One of the helmets that are out there right now is the MIPS, M-I-P-S. I Uh, I think it's like a multi-directional type of protective gear that they put on almost most helmets now if you can imagine a skiing helmet that has a shell over at the helmet and a glancing type of injury that hits a branch kind of like rotates the helmet on the top a little bit to kind of mimic the rotational forces of the brain so it kind of goes with the injury versus going head-on collision and causing that that head to go back suddenly Um, so there are things out there that do help can help to slow it down a little bit.
0: Okay. Awesome. Well, this is this was great. I, I mean, we could talk for hours about all this stuff. I think it's so interesting. Um, and, you know, I, I think that, that personality side, I think is, is awesome. Um, uh, those connections and stuff and, and how they relate to just the recovery process. Um, but, you know, thanks so much. This was, uh, like I said, great information for our listeners. Um, you do a great job you know with all the the work that, that you do and we really appreciate you coming on
2: today hey, it was a pleasure and I, I, if I can help in any way you know uh, don't hesitate to call but uh, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this thank you so much absolutely thanks you're welcome thank, thank
0: you, you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Back in the Game, a sports and mindset podcast.
1: Please make sure to join us next time as we continue to discuss the mental skills you need to get your mind back in the game and perform at your best.